Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the West End in Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 26th. September's like right there. It's so close you could wave to it. Um, <laughs> hopefully that means football. Um, for once, we're actually, the, mo- the majority of this show is not going to be talking about pandemic, you know, chaos and such. Um, we're going to spend a good amount of this uh, this episode talking about actual football, um, which will be an, a welcome change, um, I'm sure, for pretty much everybody, especially the three voices you're going to hear on this show. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? I'm tired, Brad. I don't know what's going on tonight, but I'm going to. I'm going to uh, fake it till I make it on the podcast because that's what the listeners deserve. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. I like how you're like, uh, you're trying to apologize in advance for, <laughs> for, for like, for yeah. not having much in. Well, you know what? Ferber and I will, will, will pick up the slack because, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what we do. Speaking of Ferber, uh, up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber on the program. What's going on, my friend? Yeah. Uh, I'll try to bring as much energy as I can. Uh, don't, don't promise anything, but, uh, we'll see what I can do. Um, I did say a while back that I was looking for um, charitable organizations to promote on the show. So if anybody has any of those, just trying to get the word out again, um, feel free to send those our way. If not, I'll try to find something myself at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates. Let there be in-game updates. Content items and the occasional witty banter. Uh, yeah, Ferber, you're supposed to, you're supposed to over, over-deliver and under-promise. That's right. You know, so there you go. Um, all right. First, let me, I, I know we, I said just like literally seconds ago um, that we would talk mostly about football, but I do want to talk a little bit about the scheduling uh, Virginia Tech and NC State's game that was originally scheduled to be played in the season opener for both teams will now be played uh, on September the 26th after um, NC State had an outbreak of COVID-19 among its um, program. Not a whole lot uh, in terms of, um, you know, brass tacks to take away from this other than just what it does to the schedule, which means that for the first time since 1970, at least as of now, uh, Virginia is still looking to fill um, that non-conference game slot, whether that is actually um, September the, you know, 11th or 12th, um, or whether that ends up being during one of the bye weeks. Um, But the the way I heard it is that, you know they're looking still to look to to book that, uh, but if not, it'll be the first time since 1970 that the Commonwealth Cup will be played in the season opener. Um, for Virginia Tech, I mean this is a this is kind of a rough development for them because uh, it they were like UVA in the sense that they had that open week on the 26th. Um, now Tech's going to have to play essentially what two, four, six, eight, ten games in a row, um, put, you know, before they get their next bye. Um, which comes on the 28th. How do we feel? Uh, I'm sure it's going to send Dave into a tizzy, uh, and I'm very, I'm very excited about the tizzy to come. Um, but how do we feel about Virginia, Virginia Tech to open the season? I mean, and it's 2020, so let's just let's just get weird. Dave, yeah. how 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 big is the tizzy, huh? I mean, like I said before, it's better than Georgia, um, you know, as far as win- winability, if you will. Um, it's weird. Uh, my only fear remains like that is the only game Virginia plays because of the way the bot is set up and, you know, 
if you lose it, it's a 0-1. <laughs> Can you imagine looking back in history in the 2020 season as 0-1, lost to Virginia Tech? Um, but, I mean, if you're going to play I mean, it's they, we don't have film, they don't have film. It, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It, I would rather play Duke or someone like that but to get the cobwebs out. But I do think it's an advantage to UVA with Tech losing the NC State game. Um, NC State's probably not going to be very good, um, barring some miraculously miraculous improvement um, over last year. So it would have been a good tune-up game for them. And now they don't have it. And you know, I can't remember if we discussed it on the podcast or on there, but you know, <laughs> Fuente said uh, Fuente said they were still giving reps to three quarterbacks. So um, you, you'd like to think that's a disadvantage for them going in. So yeah, uh, let's play it at least. You know, at least we beat them last year. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not trying to say I don't feel confident about Virginia's ability to beat them this year because I do. I just it'd been nice to have like a full year to enjoy the cup. You know, when's wait? When's the last time Dave ever said the words? I don't. I I I'm not saying I don't feel confident about Virginia's chance to beat them. I do. <laughs> like somebody yeah. rewind that rewind that tape. Yeah. Oh man, I, I've never picked Virginia to lose Virginia Tech. By the way, um, you haven't, it. but you, but 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 but, but you <laughs> do that. You, that is a shtick, right? That is not. Yeah, you shtick. are most of the time. By the time we get to that week, you are on pins and needles, right? Oh you, yeah, well, yeah. It's easy for him to say it's a shtick now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after exactly. Went one and nine or whatever. Yeah. Well, we were two and nine going into that game with him a few years ago. You know, that was pure shtick. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I don't mean shtick in this like. You you didn't necessarily always pick it because you really thought Virginia was going to win. You just no, couldn't no, no, no. stomach the idea of not picking Virginia to win. Exactly. The game. Yeah. And that that here. Okay. There I hate to be the bare bad news, fellas, but that is the definition of shtick. Yeah. Like, there lies the shtick. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Thank you very much. I, I, vindication is mine. Um, I, there was something you said, and now I can't for the life of me what it was. I was going to follow up on. Um, oh, the three quarterbacks thing. All right. Now listen to me. <laughs> I know on this show, sometimes we have a tendency <laughs> to, to try to, you know, pick things about tech. Because, I mean, let's be real. You know, talk about shtick. I'm catering to my audience here, right? Like, we, we, we're, it's, it's red meat that we're, we throw to them and we start talking smack about tech or anything tech's doing. I, I genuinely don't have any idea. I genuinely don't. I mean, like, unless Hendon Hooker, uh, I don't know, had, had a... Had a um, some sort of medical procedure I'm not aware of. You know, I, I just can't think of a reason why that dude wouldn't be your starter. And why, in this scenario, knowing you're going to open with a conference opponent, knowing you had your rival in week two, why you would waste any time not getting that dude as many reps as possible. Somebody help me understand that. Ferber, help me. Un- well, first, what do you think of, of the schedule situation? And then, two, uh, help me understand... This whole three. I mean, you were on a you were on a tech podcast last night. Help me understand what what the heck they're thinking. It was an ACC podcast, but uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know about the three quarterback thing. Uh, I, I kind of err on the side of um, it's gamesmanship in a way. Like I just assume every. I think I mean, as far as I know, everybody in the tech universe is expecting Hendon Hooker to be the starter. So. Um, I mean, we don't have a ton of access to practice, so we're not seeing those reps be divided up. But, I mean, I, I kind of took his comments as more, you know, like they're all getting reps, you know, like we trying to just kind of 
keep things a little bit under wraps. Whereas, like, you know, I mean, you see that a lot with quarterback competitions. Uh, Braxton Burmeister is talented, but, you know, he hasn't really played for a year, so we don't really know what he can do. And Quincy Patterson obviously has played. Um, so, I mean, it kind of keeps it open, but I would assume that, you know, opening with UVA, or even if it had been NC State, that they would kind of try to nail somebody down and and have that person ready to play the game rather than go in with the plan to split reps up in the game. Um, you know, if you were opening with, uh, like, Liberty or something, you could do that. But I think I think with, a, with an ACC opponent, particularly this rivalry game, I would assume that they're going to pick someone, probably Hooker, and, and go with him, you know, in that game. What about you, Dave? What, what do you think is happening there? I don't know. I mean, some look, you, you, I, I could be like a, you know, Fuentes an idiot and just say it's a stupid decision. It, it could have been semantics. Like, you know, he might be letting everyone take reps with the ones um, the way they're doing practice. But it is a little weird to put out there, um, especially because I thought Hooker played pretty well. I mean, when Hooker came in, they were struggling. You know, and up until the Virginia game, he hadn't turned the ball over. Um, but if you if you remember, like, talking to tech people around the time they were inserting Hooker into the starting lineup, like, the talk was that Burmeister was the guy that was going to take over the following year anyway. So if if they're splitting because they don't know, it might be more of that what they had seen, you know, last year that, to gener- you know, that created all that hype about Burmeister. But um, I don't know. it. It's fine, I guess, you know, if you want to think Fuente's a genius, like, you know, it's smart to get quarterbacks reps in case, you know, with COVID floating around. Um, I don't think yes. Fuente's a genius. No, I don't. I know. I w- no, you, you wouldn't be on this podcast. I'm, I'm sure if you, you know, you're trying to bring the UVA fan perspective. <laughs> I don't think that would classify if you thought Fuente was a genius. Um, all right, here's my thing. All right, I understand quarterback competitions are good, right? If it was two guys, maybe I could understand it, but three? Like, that seems like a lot of reps that you're losing. Now, granted, you probably expected that you were going to get more reps uh, in this specific run up to, to the season opener than you ever had. Um, and to your point, okay, let's let's say they're just trying to get other guys ready just in case. But are they doing that at every position? Like, I understand quarterback is different and such and such and such, but like it just seems like to me you would want to get your guy as ready as you could get your guy until he wasn't your guy, and then you get the next guy ready. Does that make sense? Like, it just... spreading it out among multiple dudes doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you're not sure who the dude is going to be. And if they're not sure it's going to be him, like what the hell are they watching? Like, I understand he, you know, he, he's not perfect and certainly he has a lot of areas where he can grow, but you know, I mean, look, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, it's a problem born from a, from, from, from a, from a positive, right? So like other guys are just, you know, um, muddy in the water. It's not necessarily, um, that you know he's taking a step back but man if um like if if you if if UVA was in a situation where Thompson had won the job without spring fresh you know off a transfer no real background in the offense like that would probably be a little concerning um in some ways now that he still could win it I mean one of the benefits if Virginia doesn't play until September the 19th is that there's a lot of time between you know, the first day of classes, which was yesterday, right? So when the camp officially ended and when, um, when things get going, but I don't know, man, like maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I saw that in my, my eyes bugged out of my head a little bit. I do like the fact that me, as a, I, as a Virginia fan can make comments about someone else's handling of the quarterback situation and not feel like 
<laughs> it's out of place. Like, yeah, we've done it pretty well the last few years. Now I can comment on how you've been doing it. Mm. Hey, I wasn't commenting too much back in, you know, some previous administrations and maybe maybe another previous game against Virginia Tech. I didn't quarterback handling situation but um yeah i mean i don't know i it like I, also I keep in mind that game is like one. that game's still like 25 days away or something yeah <laughs> so it's not like the game's right around the corner i mean a lot of times qb's starting quarterbacks aren't announced or decided until halfway through camp so yeah, yeah. i mean listen there's obviously plenty of time but anyway all right let's speaking of football let's talk football let's talk let's talk football that was a re- remember the titans reference for anybody out there who um didn't understand it i got it uh good a reference acknowledged um all right so we finally you, we you get into week two and and <laughs> you get that next opportunity to talk to bronco and that's typically the time frame when if you're going to get some bad news that's when it hits man the other day was a lot of bad news all at once right so dontavia wicks my guy oh, gosh gone for the season uh presumably with some sort of ankle or foot injury um Still earned his number, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, let's see. He had the VMI detail that the game at this point is unlikely to be played. Um, so then, obviously, Tech would be the opener. Uh, Ronnie Walker's waiver situation. Uh, so the the initial uh, request was denied, and UVA has appealed. Um, I'm trying to think what else was negative. Oh, the fan situation, right? So there's only likely going to be a 1,000 uh, fans in attendance, uh, most of those will be family of both the uh, home and away teams. Uh, I feel like there was another piece of Mike bad news Collins. somewhere there. Oh, and then Mike Collins, he confirmed that Mike Collins was one of the opt-outs, which a lot of folks um, had kind of already f- um, ascertained. Um, I don't. I, I, this sounds terrible, and I'm going to apologize in advance, but like, which one of those is the worst? Um, which one of those is the biggest impact? To me... It's the it's the Hollins piece, even though that's that wasn't something that was like quote unquote news before Friday. Uh, as bad as losing Wicks is, I think that one is the um, is the biggest piece. Um, e- even if you take into account that the waiver seemed like a sort of open and shut sort of case, uh, for, for what is which one of those is the wor- is is the most worst? The, what is the, what is <laughs> which one of those is the is the baddest news? Okay, I would say it's pretty it's a pretty close race. Um, I would say it's the Walker waiver. Um, just because I think that he brought something to the running back room that Wayne Talapapa, it's just not really in his skill set. He's not really a pass-catching running back. Um, Walker can do that. Luckily, they have Shane Simpson, so, I mean, that that kind of bails them out in some ways. But, I mean, if it's just those two guys, that's, that's your running back room as far as scholarship running backs. Um, so I think Walker not being there is a pretty big hindrance to them if he's not able to play. Hollins, you know, the same thing is true for him, but he's more of a, you know, just a through the tackle sort of running back. And while talented and I had really high hopes for him, I think he's a really promising player whenever he comes back. Um, I think that Wayne can kind of handle that part of the job. Um, and, and luckily Shane Simpson's around, like I said, to catch passes and do all kinds of other stuff, but maybe Walker wins his appeal and, and it's all moot and that would be huge. But, um, I think that all the pieces of news are are pretty equally bad. Um, the Wix, I mean, the Wix thing is big because you don't really have another guy that's been in the program that's like a take the top off the defense sort of player, and we right. haven't really seen him do that either in games. But we know he can just from his skill set and what we know about what goes on, um, and and that's certainly disappointing. But I'll say Walker just because I think that he would have been able to come right in and and make a big impact and. And fill a niche that they desperately need filled with with all of the departures they've had at running back over the last 
you know, since the Orange Bowl. What do you think, Dave? Which one's the worst? Yeah. I mean, I was inclined to say Wicks, but Justin's right. I think it's the waiver for Walker, especially because, you know, we kind of we kind of ascertained the Holland's news just through our investigative looking at photos. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I think when you, obviously you need Walker for depth. Um, but plus you got a chance to use a transfer without a waiver in the year, not count. So it's like a double, a double whammy, you know, it could have been a free year basically. It's basically him redshirting a year and still playing for you. So yeah, I'll go with the Walker news. I mean, like I said, they're all bad. Um, the, the fan thing is is probably the thing that a lot of a lot of people I, I, I think I, I'm interested if if this is the case I I, um, I I could see a scenario where fans were like hey can we just have something that's definitive so I know whether or not I get to go to games or whether or not I need to worry about it because there are probably a good number of fans who would love to go to a game but they're not really sure if they were going to um, and we're probably hoping UVA would take that um, out of their hands. Obviously, there were uh, going to be a lot of folks who who wanted to go, and um, I don't know. It was a, it was a rough day. There was some good news, of course, right? So there was um, you know the bit about the Lavelle Davis, who I hear is an absolute dude, um, that he is going to surprise a lot of people, um, and because he's such a big strider he, and he's got really good speed, that he sort of gets away from defensive backs, um, so he could actually help, um, you know, in, in terms of that taking the top off. Um, way that Ferber mentioned. Um, but Lavelle Davis and Demick Starling uh, have looked good that um, Tavares Kelly and Billy Kemp have taken a nice step forward, which Bronco Bronco's not one to gush. And he basically gushed about them, which anytime Bronco gushes, it catches my attention just because he doesn't do it very often. Um, so that, you know, that's obviously very good news. Um, Rayshon Henry as well. Yeah. Rayshon Henry is a dude um, as, as folks who are on my um, message board saw, um, that, that thread I had, um, I've also heard really good things about D'Angelo Amos being a dude. Um, that's the only, I don't know. I don't know why I keep saying it like that. Basically he's a, a, a playmaker, just a guy who's going to, um, make some, um, some serious impacts. So all in all, not a terrible, not a terrible. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, the whole thing about Brennan being kind of the, um, in the lead for the, for the job and everything. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the offensive line. Um, so we know the situation at running back is uh, perilous at best, um, downright disaster at worst, right? So you've got Wayne Talapapa, you got Shane Simpson, who seems to be fitting in really well. Um, got a feature on him on, on the site right now. Um, and then if Ronnie Walker doesn't get the waiver, you're essentially looking at, um, th- those two guys would, you would imagine would carry the, the bulk of the work. Um, they've got a handful of uh, um, like walk-on kids. It, it makes you it makes you wonder what would have happened if some of those guys who left last year, so Jamari Peacock most recently, then Lamont Atkins and PK Kyer, um, who are who I guess is now in the portal after so long of basically having given up football. Um, the offensive line seems to be the thing that when you talk to folks around the program, it's the thing that the most people bring up without you sort of asking them to like it's the thing that they they sort of just talk about about how you know improved the offensive line is and that kind of thing normal normally in most years that wouldn't necessarily move the needle with me because I'm always leery of you know team on team like I want to see you know good versus good in an actual game right 
like if you can run the ball, that's great. But maybe maybe their defense just is not that great, um, or maybe you're just not consistently playing against the ones, right? But given how good Virginia's defense is, we expect them to be. Um, I would imagine that that's actually really good news. How do we feel about an offensive line that sources say is going? Let's see, Rankins, Meyer, Nelson, Oluwatimi, um, Glazer, Swoboda. If that's their starting five, left to right, understanding that Bissinger's pushing Nelson at, at, at left guard and Jonathan Leach is also making himself, um, you know, into a pretty uh, nice commodity at tackle, or t- excuse me, a nice option at tackle. Um, how do we feel about that offensive line, Dave? Is that – is are, or are we in a situation where we, we, we can't really know anything until you actually see them with a consistent running game? I mean, essentially it's, you know, it's the offensive line that, that played – much better toward the end of last year. So I'm confident in them. Um, they're definitely experienced. I've said many times on the podcast, like, you know, to me, an offensive line needs to play, you know, it, it's five dudes that need to be comfortable playing with each other. It's, you know, it's a, it's a pack line, essentially. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's some good pieces there. I think Olatimi, to me, is like the, the the glue that keeps that whole thing there. He's really good. And we're, we're very lucky he, we picked him up. Um, so Boda sounds like he's, you know, had, had a great, off season and you know he looks huge in the in the video we've seen him in um and the other guys you know they're very experienced and you know it's healthy um I, I think it's a very good group uh i think every team in america is probably it's not just your starting five this year like you know you you look at what's going on you know off the football field like you're off in the line like depth matters this year because you know if you think about guys you're likely to <laughs> the guys most exposed to people <laughs> not socially distanced are those linemen. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear guys like, I think it was Leach and, and Bissinger pushing a little bit. Um, it's been some, uh, I mean, Haskins is out question mark. Um, I mean, yeah, that was yeah, weird. There's some weird stuff being said about that. Um, and then you got with Gellish that um, we haven't seen, heard his name a lot, but he, you know, he's on the roster. So, the starting five, I'm pretty comfortable with. I'd like to, I'd like to have maybe one. You know, if Haskins was healthy, with you know Bissinger and Leach pushing, I think that really makes you good. Um, yeah, I'd like to have one more tackle there. You know, one more tackle for depth with some, with a little bit of playing time. Yeah, uh, I the the Haskins thing is weird because first the word I heard was that he was out, out, like out, out, and then he pops up with a jersey and number and stuff, and you're like, oh. And then you talk to different people. It's like, well, he's out, but he's he's going to be back. Um, you know, he you know, it's a difference. The thing about it is like, just because we don't see guys in clips doesn't mean guys are out. They're typically they're in the pit, um, which is the area where guys essentially, when you're hurt, you you go over if you're if you're if you're able. I mean, they don't you know if you if you tore your ACL, they're not out there making you do push-ups. But um, basically, it's just an area for you to continue to do something. Um, during different portions of practice. Um, so there are a handful of dudes that are in that right now, right? So basically guys that you, if you haven't seen in videos, right? Which, I mean, I hate to Zapruder film the whole thing, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So like Rob Snyder, right? He's not quite back yet. Um, Goddard or Abasi or those dudes, right? Like those are the types of guys. If you're not seeing them in, in clips, that's why. Um, but yeah, the Haskins thing is weird because depending on who you talk to, there's different you know, sort of prognosis is. Um, so I'm interested once we get a chance to talk to Bronco again, um, though I'm guessing the next time we talk to Bronco portion of it is going to be like basically just everybody asking specifics on the opt out. So who answer? Cause I, I was, I asked the question about them first 
and he declined to go into specifics. And then next thing I know, Barbara's like, hey, where, where's Mike Hollins? And he's like, oh, he's an opt-out. It's like, oh, thanks, Bronco. You know. Anyway, uh, Ferber, what do you think? How, you guys you should just run through the entire roster <laughs> for the entire <laughs> press conference. Well, you know, uh, it, 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 there, there's a process of elimination, I guess you could say, so we wouldn't have to go the whole way. Yeah, um, I guess anybody that you haven't seen or doesn't have yeah, a number. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, that, I don't think the other ones are, are that hard to, to spot. Um, what do you think of the offensive line? How, what's your confidence level on them right now? Um, probably not as low, or probably not as high as, as others. Um, I, I'm sort of a pragmatist about it. Uh, I went back and watched all the games. Bryce Perkins had a great season with running the ball, as he did the year before. Um, the run blocking was not really there. Um, they did some stuff in the quarterback run department. A lot of that stuff is like draws, delayed stuff. They they executed those. They, you know, you you go back and you try to evaluate Wayne Talapapa's season, and, and you know he he didn't have like an electric season. He didn't have very many big runs at all. Um, but a lot of it was there weren't there weren't really gaping holes there that he wasn't hitting. Um, there just wasn't a lot there. So I kind of need I'm more of a in the camp of I want to see them do that. And then if the run blocking, if it's as encouraging as what we've heard, then that's great. I think they're going to be in a position to to do really well with that, especially having a mobile quarterback. But I want to see them actually go out and execute it before I, I get all excited, because we had this conversation last year and I said the same thing and they were bad. So, I mean, I think it's great that they have all this depth, um, but, you know, I want to see them go out and, and execute. Um, last year, the, the pass blocking was really poor in the first half of the season, uh, or poor to very poor. Sometimes it was okay, depending on who they were playing. Um, sometimes it wasn't. Uh, I, I think that that area kind of shored itself up in the back half of the season, along with some of the adjustments that they made to scheme. But but as far as run blocking and opening up holes and making that a strength of the offense, we're really yet to see that uh, with this group. They did okay a couple years ago. Uh, Bryce's first year when, when Jordan Ellis had a pretty good year. And then Bryce obviously had a nice year. But um, I, I think we're going to need to – I, I want to see them go out and do it to somebody before I'm going to sit here and say, oh, look at all the experience they have. Because experience doesn't necessarily translate to results with an offensive line. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I feel like you you can say like oh they have a hundred and some odd starts right and that's that's actually that's actually kind of a, it kind of cuts both ways right one it could it could sort of underscore why the expectations internally are what they are and then two it could sort of also underscore why like people on the outside are sort of on a wait and see approach because these are dudes that they've seen play a lot and so far they haven't been able to to really create consistently on the ground. Um, now I think it's fair for us to, at this point to mention in this conversation that, you know, as, um, I, I think Bronco did, no, 2J did, um, you know, Rankinsmeyer and Glazer and Nelson were all hurt at various points in camp last year and it took them a while for them to get healthy. I mean, Rankinsmeyer, I mean, hell, it was like an odyssey for him, you know, just where they were going to put him. And I mean, he was basically playing on one leg, um, by the time he got healthy, I, I, I don't think that there's any, um, I, I don't think it's a, it's just coincidence, right? That by the time those guys got right, all of a sudden things started sort of got better on the front. Um, I kind of I'm kind of with the mindset that that the missing the missing link here is not just that like oh they have depth and talent and experience. It's also that they might have you know a tight end who can block, 
and that's no shade at any other former tight ends. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. But Tony Poljohn is is the is the total package, right? He he apparently catches everything, but he's also you know really physical in the run game. Um, you know, if Peacock was still there, maybe you would see some fullback. I don't expect that that's going to happen. I think you're going to see a lot of tight end stuff. Ferber, you you went through and watched, did a whole thing in film room on specifically on tight ends. Um, as you look at or have seen what you've seen in in terms of the scheme, right? What what difference does having, in your opinion, what, what difference is having somebody like Paul John, what does that change for them? And how does that impact just his ability to, or the, the team's ability to create consistently in the run game? Yeah, I think it could be a factor. Um, obviously we've heard nothing but good things about his ability as a blocker. Um, I will say that Tanner Cowley wasn't bad. Like he wasn't, this certainly wasn't bad at blocking. Evan Butts well, he was, wasn't, Evan Buss was more of a receiver at, at tight True. end. And then True. I think Callie was more of a slash sort of player where he could line up all over the place. Um, I, I'm well, not saying that did, was like the strength of his game necessarily, right. but he was okay. You know, when you did film review, did you see a lot of him actually on the line attached or did you see mostly coming in and crashing? You know, <laughs> you know it's, of- it's funny. If I had the thing, the piece up, I could tell you because I did a thing about like where they lined up um, the most and everything like that. It was a blend. So he lined up a lot uh, in line, left or right, a lot in the slot, and then sometimes in the backfield, and then a few times out wide. I would say his most common position in the offense was probably like a tight slot position. Um, if I had to remember correctly, it's been a while since we did that piece. Um, but he was lined up in line quite a bit, or like off of the line, off the tackle. Um, and, and they did, you know, they used him a lot as like a, an extra protector and pass pro- pass protection a lot. You know, sometimes he'd go out for routes, sometimes he'd stay in to block, and and stuff like that. So yeah, I think you could see Paul John used in a similar fashion. Um, I think he has. I think one of the differences you could see with him. Uh, is you know maybe more lined up in the backfield and you can do some stuff off of that. Whereas like Cali didn't get a ton of looks where he was like lined up in the backfield. They did have some flat passes to him that I could see them really trying to use Paul John a lot in those sorts of plays. Um, I think one of the big differences for him, and it's not necessarily from a blocking standpoint. Um, maybe you line him up in line a little bit more, but I think one of the big differences will be um, how he's using the passing game. In that, if you remember from that piece. One of the takeaways was almost all of these passes to Cali are designed as such, right? Like they weren't, he wasn't the third read. You know, he was designed to get the football at the snap, whether it's some sort of fake run seam throw or a fake run flat throw. Um, some, you know, there was a jump pass at one point. A lot, there's a lot of like design stuff for the tight end. And I don't expect them to scrap any of that stuff, but I think maybe you could throw him a few more jump ball type plays than you would with Cali. Um, because of his athleticism, and I, I think that they could leverage that, especially in the red zone, whereas like with Cowley, he was used a lot in the middle of the field, and I think he caught two touchdowns last year or one. Um, so I think that you could maybe see him used a little bit more that way. But I think his uh, Cowley, if I remember correctly, was used as a blocker a, like a little over half of his plays, uh, which is about right because you think about all the Perkins runs and the run plays and then pass protection plays. Um, I think Paul John will be somewhere in that mix, too, it, it, you know, because I think if I had to guess, especially with the lack of depth at running back, and this is one of the reasons that UVA's offense wasn't a disaster last year, even though they really couldn't run the ball with a running back, is that the short the short passing game is basically everything. So, or it's a huge part of what they're doing, and I think it will be again this year. So I think 
you know, you're still going to see a lot of that stuff. And I think pole John can be used that way as a blocker to, to help protect Armstrong and, and spring quick throws to other guys, or he can be used as a receiver on those plays. Dave, I want to ask you a different question. Um, where does your excitement about Virginia's offense come from? When you, when you, when you think about um, what this season could be and such and such and such, where does your excitement come from? What position? I mean, uh, honestly, a lot of my excitement for this offense comes from just what I think is like stacking up improvements year be, year over year with this staff. Um, like I, I've got faith in Brennan. I think KT brings a lot to the table if he has to play. Um, honestly, I was trying to think with this offense, especially with the loss of Wicks, um, who you know hadn't done a lot in games, but clearly, you know, has got looks the part and certainly had you know some snaps available. Um, so I was trying to think, like, if this offense is really good, what are they going to look like? And, you know, we always go back to old Virginia teams. And I got to thinking, like, the 2005 UVA team with, with Hagens, um, and a good running game with, um, what they have Lundy there. And, um, I think Snelling might've been on that team. And then tight ends, they had Stupar, Santee, and John Phillips, three NFL tight ends on that roster. And then their wide receivers were good. Um, they had Ogletree, if I remember correctly, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some decent ones that were on that team. Um, <laughs> Dayon Williams. Yeah, Dayon Williams, like who, you know, was a home run hitter, but not a consistent threat. Um, kind of took the top off. Yeah, they had also had Michael Johnson and the running back. Otto Anderson was on that team. Um, Mo Covington was a freshman. So, yeah, definitely a tight end, running back, offensive line, scrambling quarterback team. Um, and I think, look, I, I think there's a lot you can do with the pieces on this roster, um, especially if you, if they can run block better. And, and a lot of my confidence in the offensive line is because Bronco is talking up the offensive line a little bit. He's never done that before. He's always been the harshest critic of the offensive line, you know, leading into the season. You know, um, yeah, I mean, last so year the, he was like super down on them. Yeah, so the he fact was like, that he's, I don't know if they're good or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's never given them like tons of praise and this year i feel like he is so um yeah i think if if you can run the ball if you've got a read option game um you know and the tight end works into that too because that you know it's an easy option you know part of the the rpo game even which virginia hasn't traditionally run very much of um so i think you can do some things even with the loss of wicks you know jan is a very very good receiver you got camp you got kelly um davis whoever else emerges and then you know, when, when you have a player like Poljan, as we've talked about before, like someone's got to account for him, um, and it might be more than one somebody. You know, if he can chip a defensive end and then get up on a linebacker, that could be a problem. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm confident. I'm confident based on potential, which sometimes can get you in trouble. But, um, you yeah, know, I'm looking forward to seeing how they – what it looks like on paper because, you know, what it looks like on the field because I think it's going to be different than we've seen the last – you know, with, with Perkins and with uh, Benkert, it's going to be a different skill set from the quarterback. You know, more of a quarterback look um, that incorporates, you know, that will need to incorporate the running back, whoever it is, to be as effective. Because I don't think either one of the quarterbacks we're talking about this year, at least what we've seen, has like the magic of Perkins when he's in a crowd. Um, I think they have a good running ability, but I don't know if they have that instinctual see the Florida touchdown kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I, I think – well, actually, let me ask you, Ferber, what's, what's your – when you look at this offense, what's your where's your excitement come from? 
Um, Brendan Armstrong. More just like I can't wait to just see what he can do. Yeah, yeah still we, my. We, we've we've heard a lot of good things, and, and you know it's just a different quarterback, and you know that's part of college football. You change quarterbacks every few years, and you know you you've been kind of wondering you know what the guy can do for a long time, and and it seems like he's got the leg up on Keaton Thompson, who I'm sure we'll see at some point in some capacity wearing number ninety nine, which is kind of funny. Um, but I I think that yeah I, I'd like to see how. Because we saw with Bryce, obviously, that the offense was was set up differently than it was with um, Kurt as the quarterback. Obviously, Kurt didn't really run much. Um, I'm interested to see like what the 3.0 version of the offense is with another quarterback. Where I think, yeah, you'll see a lot of stuff like you saw last year. You see some stuff that you saw in the banker years. But I think there's going to be some some different things that are thrown, you know, out for him. And I think that could be a huge advantage for them in the first game of the season. You know, having no film. Um, I think some of that stuff, you know, matters as long as the players are comfortable and, and aren't rusty. And I think that's where UVA is, where maybe I'm not as optimistic is they're just breaking in a lot of guys that are new. Um, but I think that Armstrong, he, he puts them in a position where it's like UVA knows what he can do. The players know what he can do. He's comfortable in the offense, but opponents don't really know what he can do yet. And I think that's intriguing, at least for the first you know few games of the season. I feel like you stole my answer, so now I'm having to figure out another one because it doesn't really sound it's not good. It's not good audio if I just basically say everything you just said. Um, I feel like in the big scheme of things, the Poljan commitment, even though of the transfers, you know, he's the one who kind of had a more like kind of a let's call it a national. Um, I don't know. Um, People maybe more people knew his name right nationally than than the other guys. Um, I'm really hype for the Simpson kid, in in essence because it sounds like they finally have a home run hitter. And when's the last time they had a home run hitter at running back? Um, that's not to, that's not to say I'm not still. T- I mean I think Paul John's going to be incredible. Um, but it just I don't know that kid and his ability. Um, and what what especially because how much they need him. But you you look at some of um, you know some of his bona fides, and it's um, it's pretty impressive. Um, let's move to the defensive side, right? So it sounds like the only real question mark on that side of the ball is a cornerback. Um, and they and it's not like they they're hurting for cornerbacks. They've got some some guys. The question is who are the right guys? It's funny mentioning transfers, right? So Amos, it, like I said before, is a really good player. Has, has hit the ground running. Um, if if you if you're gonna have depth in the secondary, you'd rather not all be at one of the two, right? You'd rather kind of be more spread out. A lot of their depth right now is at safety, which gives them a lot of uh, versatility. Dave, what when you look at the defensive side of the ball, where are your concerns? Is it is is the big thing for you? Cornerback is the big thing for you. Um, you know what they do on the defensive line, potentially with how do I word this? Potentially with some. <laughs> Big pieces miss. Like, what? What? How do you? What do you? What do you think when you look at the defense? At least we'll start on the negative side and we'll work positive. <laughs> Are you teasing another pod class, podcast I'm, cliffhanger? No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> just, just doing my job. Just, uh, just, just yeah, out here. On, you know. I mean, I think probably, probably, you know, I don't think probably. It, it's it's the cornerbacks for me. Um, obviously, uh, Nick Grant's back, and he he played well last year, given what he was thrown into. Um, and you know. <sighs> 
maybe it'd be nice to see a healthy Bratton for the year. And, you know, Heskin Smith got some playing time last year and there, you know, Jalen Baker, there's some other young guys on the team. Um, so, I mean, I think that's where, that's where I'm looking at it. And again, because it was one brought up by, by the, by the coach as an issue as not an issue, but you know, an area of concern. So, um, I think if you can get that right, and they don't have to be like all American, you know, because you're going to get pressure on the quarterback with the linebackers and um, what's returning on the defensive line. And I think you've got really good safeties, you know, especially with, you know, you add Amos to, to you know, to Cross, who I think is, is better at safety than corner. And I think almost everyone agree with that. Um, and, you know, Blunt, Cross, Nelson, Amos, that, that's a good group. And Nelson gives you some versatility, especially playing the slot corner. So, um, it's just, you know, can, can Grant improve, you know, pick up and improve on what he did last year? And can we find someone else on the other side? Um, other than that, I'm pretty confident with the defense, you know, regardless of what you're looking at you know, on on the two deep, you know, what names you're looking at. What about you, Ferber? Where are your concerns on defense? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit on it, Dave. I, I think it's corner. I think um... – you know, you kind of saw what happened to that unit last year in the back half of the season when health became an issue, um, especially Brenton Nelson's injury, too. I mean, I know a lot of talk gets made about Bryce Hall, but Brent Nelson, he's got that nickel specialized sort of role. And, and if you lose him, you're in a tougher spot. So I think they're really going to depend on guys that are in that too deep, like Heskin Smith and, and um, Jalen Baker and, and guys like that to step up and and make a difference. Because I think, you know, there's there's inevitably going to be injuries and and i think that you know teams can take advantage of, of corners that are inexperienced or just not quite on the level of the starters and i think that you're going to see that i am not really worried about the safety position at all because you know you aforementioned depth there and, and talent and then the linebacker group should be really strong and i think the defensive line will be strong again um so it's it's definitely corner for me especially you know just like the playable depth behind those first couple guys Hey, before Brad steals one th- point for me, I, I wanted to add him into, like, I mean, the one the one thing I think Virginia has going for him with with the DBs is is a certain linebacker, outside linebacker, um, kind of in that Isaiah yeah, Simmons mold, um, but taller. Like, you know, if you've got a side that's struggling a little bit, you've got Noah Taylor who can who can rush the quarterback and also drop fifteen yards real quick. So, if the other team doesn't know what's happening right there, you can throw them off enough, I think, to help cover up deficiencies um so he'll help some but yeah that's still the position sorry yeah i mean no you're good i mean i actually i was going in a slightly different direction i think the thing that is interesting about the cornerback spot right it's like if you think about the dream team right and no i'm not saying uva's dt defense is the dream team but like one of the things one of the reasons was the dream team right is that you, you look around and you're just there just are no holes right you look around UVA's defense, you're just trying to find something that is the hole, right? You're, you're super talented at outside linebacker with you know long, rangy, athletic dudes, plus nice young pieces that you know have you know, a, a, you know, a lot of potential. At inside linebacker, you've got a lot of experience. You've got some versatility and, and some young guys who are making some hay. On the defensive front, even if, you know, even if things play out the way we expect, um, you, you, you still got a nice rotation, um, you know, Jordan Redmond apparently has you know made some strides, um, and you, you you got a lot of like, you've got a lot of versatility and ways that you can attack offensive lines. 
safety, you know, Ferber mentioned it, like nobody's worried about that position, especially now that Amos is there. Um, you know, that's a, that's a group that pound for pound is probably the best position group on the team. There's no, there's just no way to, to really look at that group and not talk about the cornerbacks. And yet Bratton was pushing Tim Harris like 37 seconds ago. And that dude's a pro now, right? Had, had he not got hurt, gotten hurt last year, Virginia's season, I, I, you, you probably could make, you know, some varying degrees of an argument about how different it would have been. But the perception of that position would be dramatically different if that kid could have played, right? So if he's if he's healthy and he can play, I I, I don't have I, I guess it's it's fair to say that like that might be the position group that is you're the most quote unquote concerned about. But how concerned are you, especially to today's point, uh, when you do have a weapon like Taylor that you can move all over the place, knowing the the things that you know about your defensive second you know your secondary and your defensive backs, like you can move. Brent Nelson around and you can move um, you know now that you have Amos you can do a lot of different things you're probably not going to take cross and put him at corner right because you do have some young cornerbacks I mean Jalen Baker um, I mean look he's he scored at least one touchdown in, in the uh, in practice so far um, that's a kid who made some plays at different times I mean that Carolina game he made a couple of big stops down the, down that in the you know that last drive um, so I just think about it from the standpoint of if you're going to have to find a weakness, sometimes the weakness isn't that weak. And I think Virginia's cornerbacks, while that is probably the one that most people would, would point to, it doesn't mean that there's like a, you know, this is not a four alarm fire, right? Um, sure. Bryce Hall's not there anymore. And it feels weird to, to think about, you know, them starting a season without him, but they've got some talent. The question is who who settles where. I think a lot of us assume Nick Grant will be one of the two starters, but that doesn't mean that Bratton and, and Baker can't push him out. I mean, one of the things Bronco said last year about Grant was that you know he's refused to give up that spot. Maybe this is the camp where somebody beats him out. We'll have to wait and see. But that just because it is you know on that defense is the weakness, um, quote unquote. It could be you know a quote unquote weakness. Dave, let's go back to you. What what what, what excites you about? this defense. I mean, I, just another year in the system. Like I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> just, I really wish they'd gotten this. <laughs> yeah, there's so many reasons. Um, yeah, I, I really would have liked to have seen this year's defense with a spring ball under their belt, because I think That's we could have seen so much more exotic stuff put in, but in some ways, if we're not playing until the 19th, they're kind of getting a spring ball in addition to fall camp. And it's all going to be fresh in their mind. So if you can keep them healthy, maybe you can install all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, they get two extra easier. weeks, basically. Yeah, so the way Virginia does spring ball, like this is more consecutive football than they play in the spring. Um, so you know, maybe maybe I should be more excited. Uh, no, I just think, you know, you start looking at the pieces like we've been talking about when you've got, um, you know, yeah, I think Briggs is going to have a very, very good year. you got Bernie back for year 12. Um and you got, <laughs> you know, you got other pieces on the defensive line. If Redmond, you know, if Redmond's improving, like they say, um, and then I'm, why am I dry, I'm losing the name of the defensive, the grad transfer, because it's a difficult name. Uh, Adib Atorai. Yeah, that guy, um, who looks a little small for our defensive line, and you know, you combine that with the returning linebackers you have, and we know what Virginia, what Bronco and the staff likes to do with. One D lineman, you know, and I think it was Papingo was even talking about it. Like you're going to see us in, you know, three four, three three five, you know, one man down. 
like so when you start doing that and you start doing it with pieces like they have that have been in the system for a while, this defense has a potential if you can figure out that cornerback position, keep everyone healthy. This defense has potential to be nasty. Um, you know, if you can get pressure from all angles and you've got good coverage, like that, that's what you want to do on defense. Um, and I think there's some young pieces we haven't talked about who I'm really excited to see. Cause if you guys think, I'm, if you think about how Broncos always use young guys, you know, offensively, they tend to kind of work them in, but defensively, it's kind of like Tony Bennett. Like he, he know this is a system. We know you can't handle everything, but you do this. So if you think back to like Noah Taylor and, and Charles Snowden when they were young, yeah. they just bring them in to go get the quarterback. Um, so you look at guys like Horton and, um, you know, the other outside linebackers. That Deshaun Perry. Really, yeah, Deshaun Perry. That's what I was thinking. Thank you. Who are really super athletic and aren't known outside the program very well. So if you run that guy on the field in a two, you know, as, a, as the extra linebacker, um, like you can start doing some really fun things. And I'd be willing to bet money either, you know, Perry or, or Horton will have a sack this year because they are that explosive. Um, and especially when you've got to account for everyone else who is a little bit more well-known. So, yeah, just I'm always excited about a 3-4 defense. And I, I just think when you – I don't know that there's one position other than, you know, maybe you know when, you, when Virginia was healthy last year with Bryce Hall, I think the only position we're probably weaker at going into this season is the cornerback spot that Bryce Hall had to start the year. Yeah, on defense anyway. Yeah, on defense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the thing you just brought up is, is true. Like I've been going back and forth about this for the last few days, kind of, especially since the news broke yesterday that the tech game against NC state might get moved, which it did. Um, you know, on the one hand, it's like, Oh man, opening with tech is, is really like tough. And, and you know, it, it's, you don't want to go in, you don't want to be 80% of what you can be in that game. Right. Um, and one thing I thought about with that is UVA now has the experience of having to go to Pitt last year, um, which I think will help a little bit, you know, kind of having to be at 100% right off the bat. Um, obviously, a lot of new faces, but you kind of get where I'm going with that. But also, what you just said about the exotic blitzes and stuff like that, I think that might actually pay dividends playing them first, having no film for either team, just because... You know, if you're Virginia Tech or any team, really, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, you're you're trying to do what you do well. You're trying to come in and like run your best plays and get your best guys the ball, like any other team does. If you play a team that's running stuff at you that you haven't seen in practice with good players, that's a problem. Um, and, and I think that UVA could dial up some stuff that might, you know, c- create some issues. You just don't want to go too far with it, as we saw in Broncos' first game at UVA, where they were getting kind of exposed on the back end because they were throwing all these exotic looks at Richmond who were handling them um, and able to kind of, like, exploit those those blitzes and stuff like that. But I, th- I think that is sort of an opportunity in itself, and it could help you get out of a situation where you're, maybe your offense doesn't play that great, a lot of new faces, new quarterback you might be able to get through that game if your defense can force a couple turnovers or, or at least just keep Tech off the scoreboard for a long time. I, th- I think for me, on the defensive side, my, my excitement is the fact that there's literally endless stuff to be excited about. Today's point, like there's a bunch of these young kids that, 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 that are, you know, that have a lot of potential that haven't been able to get on the field. And you look at, you can go position by position, and 
it's not it's not hard to point to you know not just the the, the experience they have or the ta- or the depth that they have, but then point to a young guy and say like, oh, and you know here's the here's the dude that's going to come next. I think that's just what it looks like when when you grow it right. Um, I, I think that's how it should be. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the way it's supposed to look, right? Um, in terms of specifics, I think the guy I'm most excited about this season beyond, I mean, how can you not be excited about Noah Taylor, Charles Snowden, and um, how can you not be excited for, you know, year 11 or 12 or whatever for Richard Burney? Um, also, by the way, just real quick, we are going to potentially, I'm not saying we don't know what he's thinking. We could get another year of Richard Burney now because this okay, year doesn't you just, count. You stole my whole thunder for the last segment of the pod, but yes, yes, we, yeah, that's very true. Um, but no, I just think that there's so much to be excited about that probably the thing that I'm, and this is such a cop out and I don't care. The thing I'm most excited about is being excited, right? Like there is no way to look at that Virginia defense and not be jacked, right? Like there's just no way, there's no question about it. Even if you think, oh, um, you know, maybe they got to figure some things out at corner, right? No, no, you're, you're excited about the defense and it's just nice to be excited, right? And I don't mean that from like, in like a COVID, you know, pandemic way. I mean, just in terms of just football, um, you know, Joy Blunt said the other week, other day, like, like we think about last year's team, but this this team has he thinks has more potential, and I'm I mean I don't think you can really argue with that. Um, all right, let's let's transition to the last portion. So, the NCAA has now officially said that anybody any anybody who plays in the in the fall or the spring, they this basically this year is it doesn't count, right? And it, and as far as I'm aware. And I'll give myself the caveat there just in case I get myself in trouble in a second. I don't believe that there are any real parameters on that, right? So nobody, you know, it's all up to whether the kids want to come back. Um, I'm sure schools, you know, in their, who they offer scholarships to. Bronco talked about this the other day, the way that they typically do, you know, a fifth year. Um, Conceivably, there are a handful of dudes on this defense, on this, you know, on this program in general, but like, you know, specifically the defense, who could return, Right. Um, many of them will probably want to be done with, you know, school, understandably. Many of them might want to be, you know, to head to the next level, understandably. But you could get year 17 of Richard Burney. I love the fact that Burney's been there longer than Bronco has. That's just amazing to me. Um, do we think the NCAA has treated players fairly? I, I was kind of on this kick the other day about saying everybody gets a year is great not telling teams what their scholarship situation like if there's a hard number it before players in this class sign is unfair um that's going to be my personal uh hill i'm just going to keep screaming from it um what do you think Ferber? let's start with you do you think the NCAA is being fair and and how do you feel like this thing should be because i mean you theoretically you could have a kid who plays in this non this you know when the clock stops year Right, who then plays four games in 2021 and redshirts, and then comes back as like a super duper redshirt freshman two seasons from now. Um, I haven't seen anything that says that they can't do that. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on on the uh, on the on the move by the NCAA to basically um, call 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 this year a draw? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's the right thing to do. Um, I think that honestly, like. 
the situation that you just brought up is is kind of an intriguing one. You know, you could kind of add some years of eligibility on, you know, but we've also talked on this podcast too about sometimes players just want to move on at the end of their degree or whatever. You know, it, it's not necessarily like, let me see how many years I can do this for. There's certainly going to be guys like that. But, um, and I, hey, that would be my advice. Don't leave college ever. Stay. <laughs> um, but, you know, like at, at the same time, I think, we probably need to talk more about what's right for or what's fair for the student athlete, what's right more so than what's comparing it to normal because this just isn't normal. I mean, like everything about this year is weird. Um, you know, we don't even know we're, we're what, uh, 17 days or something away from kickoff and we don't even know if there's going to be a season. UVA is trying to schedule a game <laughs> that's, you know, a few weeks away. Um they're going to potentially open in Blacksburg in front of no one in a few weeks. Like everything is weird about it. So I think we just need to focus on like making sure kids don't get cheated because they don't get to play this year because their league isn't playing or because, you know, their school is, you know, having COVID issues that aren't their fault and can't play or some other, or they want to opt out because it's not safe for them to play. I, I think all of those things need to be looked at and said like, you know what, the situation is, is different. We're going to make it work. Obviously, it's going to create some issues for the schools trying to juggle their rosters, but I think that that sort of stuff can be worked out, you know, on a school by school basis, whatever they can do. Um, it is a decision between them and the student athlete, as it always is. Um, so it's kind of a two way street. But at the same time, I don't think anybody should have it should lose out on anything because of the situation. Because I mean. I think there's a real chance that we play this season and it either doesn't get finished or half the games don't get played or one team plays four games, another team plays ten. Some weird thing like that is definitely in play. And I don't think it's fair to say, like, oh, some kid that his team played five games, that counts as a season, you know, especially having missed spring and everything as well. Um, I, I think that we can kind of just, you know, give everybody a mulligan and keep it moving, and I'm, I'm glad they were able to do that. I think there's some hypocrisy with the Walker waiver, and, and other waivers that have been declined um, because of that. But I think that I, I hope that maybe they can address those things and make them right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think this year is kind of a free for all and, and we just kind of have to expect the unexpected, expect things to be different, uh, you know, and accept those things. What do you think? Dave? Yeah. I mean, uh, like I admit, I haven't read like, whatever the NCAA put out on this officially. I've just read what people reported on, which is basically this is a free year. But, you know, I have seen that, you know, I, I guess if you're a senior this year or if you're a, whoever stays, whoever would have graduated from this class doesn't count against your 85 next year. Like they said that. The question is, like, do you still, like I'm a little unclear if the, like I think doing this and taking the question, you know, taking the uh, uncertainty of, of redshirting this year, like, is it worth, you know, four games in if your team's not good and maybe the season doesn't work or if you only place five, yeah. I think taking that uncertainty off the board and saying, hey, this is basically a free year for everyone makes a lot of sense. But maybe it's in whatever they release. But I'm a little un unclear still if this is just a redshirt year for everyone, which means, you know, <laughs> And whether they're still going to hold them to their five-year calendar, um, I get the sense they won't. But I'd like to see that a little clearer. But yeah, it, it does. The it, way it reads is basically like the the year doesn't count at all. Yeah. 
So yeah, like but- basically like if you're a junior or like a true junior next year you are a true junior. Like Yeah. And that's the way I read it too. So I mean that's going to take some if that's all the case and there's no like hidden hidden stuff in here and truly the the guys who would have graduated this year which I don't know if that means so you know with Bronco like he's always said that fifth year is earned not given I don't know if you ever heard that um so does that player is it's that only player plastered all over the freaking new fields <laughs> and everything I noticed that they, they couldn't wait to work that one into the fences or whatever they were doing yeah so it'd be interesting like are those players that were juniors like uh, you know redshirt junior this year who maybe wasn't going to be invited back for their final year um if you invite them back next year, do you not have to count them? I assume you would have to count them. Um, so, I mean, I think overall it's a good a good plan. And the thing that strikes me about that rule, I mean, we're talking about how fun the defense is. And, like, this whole defense could be back next year on the young guys with a year of experience. Um, college football as a whole, like, if you can get through this um, and, you know, you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose some of your really, really good players. Like, there's potential Noah Taylor shows out this year and, you know, wants to go or Snowden or, you know, Poljan on the offense, like they may not want to come back. Um, but the, the guys, like if they don't have a great year and then come back, like, and that's going to happen around the country. Like this year might not be fun with, you know, a few leagues playing, you know, a few conferences playing and not a normal schedule and fans not at games. But if things are normal the following year, there can be some really high quality football being played um, with, you know, some very developed rosters, uh, which could take a couple of years to watch out. So, Long term, long term, it, it could be fun. You know, assuming all the schools survive the economic hit. Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem too. Is like the the you talked about scholarship costs. I think last yeah. time we we talked and yeah, I mean that's something that like I said, every school is going to have to take that into account. And the only thing that I would like to see the NCAA do from a rule standpoint is to do something to like if if, if they're not going to count players towards the total or they're relaxing the eighty five limit, which I think they'll probably have to do something like that because you can't say like the year doesn't count and then be like, but you also have to stay at the 85 limit. Cause that doesn't work. Um, no, I think then, they've said they're not holding you to that. Yeah. Cause then, cause then you would end up having a situation where it's like half, like, I'll have like 25 of your players would have to go in the portal and 25 players from every school in the portal is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> that would just be insanity. Um, but I, I think they have to figure out some way to keep teams from, I'm just being cynical, uh, like loading up their roster with like a ton of freshmen and transfers and stuff because it's like there's no limit because then Alabama could get like every grad transfer and then have like 150 players on their team because they could afford to do that. Um, I think there has to be some rule that like if you want the extra year, you kind of have to either stay at the school you're at or you can grad transfer somewhere else, but there's some sort of like limit on how many players you can add. Because, I mean, even with UVA, we've seen them add, what, like six players since yeah. since the offseason started? And, and that's fine. I mean, they're not like – they don't have a crazy amount. They're under the limit or at the limit right now. So, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. But I could, I could just imagine what teams would do if it was like an uncapped sort of situation. I found the language that said about the counting for next year. So the financial aid of fall sports senior student athletes who take advantage of the additional year of eligibility and extended clock will not count against team limits in 2021-2022. So it's just the seniors. Um, right, so they that makes sense. They won't count. So you have to have 85 in all the others. You know, if you're a, so you because you basically have two senior classes next year. 
the other yeah, one. Yeah, you'll just have to, have to balance that out yourself. You know? Yeah. Like, so, so you're saying that if you were a junior this year, you'll be a junior next year, but they can't have any. But, but, yeah, but essentially the only people that can put them over the 85 are the repeat seniors. The, so, yeah, 85. Yeah, because any, those, like, Billy Kemp's exactly. a junior this year. He'll be, he's going to be on the team next he's year He's going to anyway. count next year. But he's Snowden just counting as a junior instead yeah. of a senior. Yeah. So, so how do you balance that out when you've got recruit? So basically, because you already so basically it wouldn't change anything. So you would have been recruiting to all these seniors leaving. Right? I got you. So, so so basically, you're allowed to have your 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 seniors over the 85, but everybody else has to be under it. Yeah, I mean, I think and you would just handle it. The only problem is the next year you run into the same problem where it's like, how many juniors do you want to keep? Because like like I said, I'm just picking on Billy Kemp, but like. You know, Billy Kemp's a junior. He comes back next year as a junior. Then he could come back the next year as a senior, right? So it's yeah. like then you run into issues where it's like how many recruits do we want to take this year because we have somebody like Billy Kemp available to come back again. Right. Well, but think about it like this, though. If you're saying that it's just the super seniors, right, that, that you're allowed to – your super seniors can be over your 85, then essentially it's the same as it would have been. It's just everybody's clock stopped. For right? next year. Right. For next year. Yeah. So then if you get to the next year, that, jun- that group of juniors – they will that that become seniors. It's not like you're going to have two recruiting classes, so you're not going to have the influx, right? Because you wouldn't have the pause, right? So everybody's clock will run. So it actually it's only really a problem for the first year, and then how that impacts each each position group, each succession planning for each class thereafter, right? So you might have said, okay, your quarterback is a senior this a year, a little bit, and I you've know. got a you've yeah. got a sophomore, right? Well, now you've got another senior. Right, you got the senior stays and the sophomore stays, but then you also brought in a freshman. Yeah, I think I think Justin's point was so. But that sophomore eventually stays another an extra year. Exactly. So then it's like, so like you're like like let's say next year UVA senior class would have been like forgetting about the Charles Snowdens of the world who could come back next year. Like let's say next year you had twenty scholarships available for your recruiting class. But then, like, 12 of these guys that are juniors decide to stay for two more years because they can. Then you have eight – you have, like, too many people on your team. True. True. Yeah, yeah. So then, I, you I run, that, then you run into problems. Like, yeah. two years – but that's what I mean. There's, but also, all those guys aren't going to come back for another – a fifth year. Some of them will leave. Some of them will go in the portal. So, I mean, I think that you, you – those things will work themselves out. That's how I would say that – the easiest way to describe it. That's yeah, a problem think, for two years from now when we return to normal, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest downside to this is, you know, most of the most of the schools have essentially what eighty to ninety percent of their class already committed, um, right. but they were recruiting that class to fill the needs of the guys who would have been seniors next year. So, like the Kemp's of the world, but now that guy's going to be a junior. So, I think where you're going to see transfers is a guy who now has to wait two to three years to see the field versus you know, coming in to back up a guy who's playing behind for one year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to manage the roster numbers because it's not going to affect you directly. That gives you time. You're going to have some guys wash out. You're going to have some transfers. Um, and you have plenty of time to figure it out. It's not like, oh, well, yeah. tomorrow you have to figure out your 2022 roster. You know, like they can say, okay, like who, who do we think is going to stick around another year from like the junior class and the sophomore class and and, and then try to figure out like – you know, how many guys do we want to bring in? And what you might end up seeing too is like maybe teams don't need as many transfer ads because yeah. they're keeping guys. My guess is on the recruiting front, this will this will hurt teams that get a lot of five stars a little more than it's going to hurt 
your three-star schools because yeah, because if that guy was coming in thinking right I wanted to play, yeah, and he's right. got to wait two years. Um, so yeah, be nice to have that issue, but I don't think we're going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some of those guys, I mean, like depends on the position and everything, but some of these guys that go to Clemson, LSU, whatever, they understand that they're not going to play for like a year at least, or they'll play like a little bit. Um, yeah. I think the idea of like the instant I want to be a starter thing it doesn't really play anymore because now these teams are so loaded at the top. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. like more, there's less parity with like where they go. They all go to the same eight schools. <laughs> well, yeah. so you know like, what though? actually the in some ways become loaded in some ways it actually might empower those teams a little bit more because they're the ones who aren't going to worry about their best players potentially staying over. They're the ones who are going to have the same sort of, you know, openings that they normally would have it's and those, yeah like, those guys aren't staying the extra year because they're going pro <laughs> like imagine if uva had let's say a scenario where uva had a left tackle who was a was a was a junior right and he was a he was going to be or senior sorry a senior and they were recruiting a makai becton type right and the only chance they had of getting him is that you know he knew he could go there and play right away and now all of a sudden you're like oh well you're gonna have to move to right tackle or you're gonna have to move your um your senior, your your senior captain left tackle to right tackle. Right, like it, it actually. I could totally see a scenario where schools like Virginia, like so power five teams, with you know put some scratch together, but maybe not in you know winning championships and such. Those programs, the only shot they've really got with the highest elite of the elite players are you know guys who who have made connections for a long time who want to play, um, and some or some hurt. sort of like weird one off fit. Where yeah, it's like exactly. the coach's son or something. Right, exactly. And so now you've got a situation where, like, yeah, the, the elite programs, they got plenty of space because those dudes are all going pro anyway. They don't care, right? But the other schools, they, you know, they might have dudes who are who want to hang around. Um, but it's going to be fa- – the bigger thing, honestly, like if we're really being real, like the bigger thing beyond just the clock pausing for a year is what what the heck does football recruiting look, right, look, right, look like right now? Like – you didn't have any camps. Like, what do you do? Like, where's Virginia in the 2021 class, right? Like, you have some film to go off of, but what film are you going to have to go off of now? And you didn't have camp season. Well, if you if y'all if people in the Commonwealth are complaining about Virginia Virginia Tech how they're recruiting in the Commonwealth, they're going to like it even less now because, like, they're going to go look where you're going to go if you need something. You're going to go look where they're playing. Uh, which is not in Virginia. Yeah, you go to Georgia or wherever they're playing. Yeah, yeah. Florida, Georgia, um, parts of Pennsylvania. Well, I think uh, it also really hurts. Like, I, I mean, this class is kind of like we've talked about this on this show during the summer, but I think this class, you know, for most teams, they've evaluated this group. I mean, you, you have a few guys here and there late that make that mm-hmm. Starling type players um, that come along really late in the cycle. Um, but most of the evaluations is done where, where this year high school football not happening or not happening in a lot of places will really hurt is like your evaluation of next year's guys and the next year's guys, because yeah. if there's no film, what are you offering on? <laughs> like, you know. If you could buy stock in post-grad schools, you know, like, you know, the Fork Union post-grad year, the places I've given what, Taft or whatever in Connecticut, mm-hmm. I'd buy it. Cause there's going to be a lot of players who go post-grad this year just cause they're not going to get seen you know, late as a senior. Um, and not only that, you're going to be getting recruited into a much deeper roster. So like post-grad years for these guys make a lot of sense. I think you'll see, uh, you know, I, I don't know what percentage. That'll definitely be something bigger than it normally is. Um, yeah, we've already yeah. seen it. I mean, some players have already said that they're going to post-grad yeah. school. So. I would and like also, I think you're going to see a ton of guys, especially in the two conferences that canceled, 
um, a ton of early enrollees because yeah. what's the incentive to stay in high school if you can finish your school? Like you can, because yeah, you're not exactly. going to get count. You could go there, play in the spring, and it won't count. So exactly, mm-hmm. it's like the best spring ball ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's I mean, why I think the idea of playing in the spring. I mean, I, I applaud them for trying, and and AC could be in that boat at some point. Um, I don't really see it because I feel like everybody will treat it like what you just said. Yeah, I feel yeah. like everybody will just be like, okay, well, this is just like a glorified practice season until the fall. Like, yeah. and you'll have a lot of guys sitting out. I'll have a lot of guys like getting the freshmen getting reps that they wouldn't normally get and stuff like that. Can we also real quick, just for just a hot second, I mentioned recruiting and everything. Okay. So the ACT, ACC SAT, right? So, there's a pretty good chance that that's not going to be, I mean, there's a, it's moving through right now in general, right. To, for that, not to be a, an element of, of, um, for guys to be, um, to be able to be, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? And I'm drawing a blank. Eligible. Eligible. Thank you to, 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 to become eligible. Um, but there's also the situation of grades in general, right? So, you know, schools, virtual, in person, there are a whole lot of like weird hills that things have to get through. Like we're very focused right now on the, on the guys that are in school. Right. And what happens to them, you know, in terms of the season, in terms of eligibility and such, but in terms of qualifications, right? Like if you qualify the qualifying, the the qualifying matrix is going to change. It's just a question of what it's going to look like and how soon Um, this, this is probably going to make it change even more dramatically in, in a much, you know, sort of sooner um, context. But man, I mean, it's very possible that Virginia could get kids in soon that they might not have been able to a year ago. And I, 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 I don't know. I, I, again, I'm not saying that like all of the rigors are going to change, but you know that there are some kids who, for whatever reason have not, because if you take out the SAT ACT portion of it, right. And kids are being able to, I mean, a lot of these classes, if they're virtual, I mean, I'm not entirely sure how rigorous they're going to be, but a lot of them, you know, I can imagine a lot of kids are going to get pretty good grades. I mean, let's be real, right? Like a lot of school, you know, (laughs) right now is going to focus on social, you know, and mental health and stuff, right? Like it's not, you're not just be busting up in there and be like, all right, let's, let's break down the Pythagorean theorem, right? Like it's going to take a while. You know what I mean? I, I'm not saying like again. I'm not saying this is like a, a full blown thing thing. Um, you know, it's not a capital letter thing. Um, but man, it just it does kind of have a sense of like so much beyond just the uncertainty of like oh will they play or oh how many scholarships will they have? Right? There's like how many how many you know how many offers and do you know dudes can you um, can you truly evaluate? I mean, heck, my message board is gonna burn things to the ground if Tony Bennett doesn't offer somebody soon um you know what I mean like there's just a whole lot there there <laughs> that Tony Bennett doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> I don't think he's He'll ever figured out it. one day I think yeah don't don't isolate that audio please because I don't want to <laughs> don't isolate that no nah, <laughs> the title <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a lot. I, I honest, I don't want to sound dramatic, but I think the the ripples of what is happening this year will. I know next year it could be a much more normal year, hopefully. Um, in 2022, hopefully, you know everything will be fine. But I think there are things in the college athletics and in everything else that will kind of ripple out for years, maybe forever in college football. Like we've talked about scheduling and stuff like that. 
if if the ACC, Big Twelve, and the SEC pull off this schedule that they put out and it works, the ratings are going to be very good, and people are going to really like the per, like the heavy conference schedules sort of thing. That could be a permanent change at at some point. They could say like, man, this is way better than what we had before. Um, and that's just one example. Like I think there's going to be ripple effects in recruiting. Ten years from now, I mean, like there could be. It's not that crazy to think that there could be a team in college football or basketball that sort of like rises to prominence because of this. Like, I know that sounds weird, but things happen and, and history sort of changes based on a few things here and there. Like, I'm just going to pick on UVA, but like, what if, what if UVA handles the situation really, really well and kills it this year? And then that sort of like opens the door for them in ways that it wouldn't have. And then, you know, they have like a, a random run to the college football playoff because they get some really good quarterback or something based off this one season. You know, who knows? Like, I'm just hypothetical. Like, something like that could happen. Whereas, like, normally it would be a lot harder for it to happen. You need that, like, you know, butterfly to flap its wings or whatever. Butterfly to flap its wings. All right, let's, let's put a pin in it there. Um, we're like an hour and 15 minutes in. Did not see that coming. Uh, if you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that podcasts are sold, or in this case, offered. Um, we should be there, and if we're not, let me know because I want to be there. Uh, and if you are so inclined, give us a rating and review. helps to get us out in front of more people. If you're somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a look at the website, it's called CavsCorner.com. I don't know if I've mentioned that or once or twice. Um, let's see. What I got? Uh, I got features on uh, Shane Simpson. And the um, way he's kind of settling in in Charlottesville, even though, you know, it was a pretty chaotic, you know, month for him. Um, Wayne Talapapa talking about, you know, hey, yeah, I was I was scared to come back east. But you know what? Now that he, he called he had one of the best quotes about Charlottesville I've ever seen about it being vibrant and how thankful he was to be a part of the community. Um, did a, had a feature on uh, Joey Blunt, um, who talks. I mean, Joey Blunt might be you know, well, Snowden's still on the team. Blunt's one of the best quotes uh, on the group, so definitely give that a look. And then we, we mentioned the Broncos presser. I've also got um, you know some stuff breaking some of that down and um, echoing that. And if you get to the message board, there's a nice, big, long thread about different things that we're hearing about um, training camp, or I guess technically practice now that uh, classes have technically begun. All right, so again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time, as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon. There's something-